Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. Is up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Thursday, January the 30th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're changing up the schedule a little bit today, doing an extensive mailbag episode for today's podcast, and some curious comments from a former Dolphins defensive back, and an update on Preston Williams' ACL rehab. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL, voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. And of course, follow the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back and LockedOnDolphins.com, your go-to source for all your daily written Dolphins content needs. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. I think it's somewhat out of place, maybe out of pocket. Is that the term the kids use these days? To speak one way about a player when he's wearing the uniform of your favorite team and then to change gears completely when he departs. And that was my point when Minka Fitzpatrick was first traded to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Plus, at the time, I believed it to be a great value move for Miami because A, the player wanted out. So to get a first round draft pick for a disgruntled player is really good value. And B, the Steelers at the time were 0-2 with Mason Rudolph as their starting quarterback. And remember, I told you he was no good and eventually was replaced by a quarterback named Duck. So that proved that theory to be correct. And we saw Duck eventually exposed as well. And the Steelers as a team exposed after all the lucky stuff they had happened. All things considered, that pick should have been in the top 10. Some missed field goals, some fluky takeaway luck changed that fact at 8-8 eight and eight and the 18th pick in the draft, but good process should always be applauded even if the result wasn't as desirable as originally thought to be. But now Minka has given us a lot of fuel to really, well, frankly, just not like the kid. We don't have to play revisionist history here and detail the timeline. You guys know it. His mom goes on Twitter and makes a stink about his expanded role playing multiple positions in Brian Flores' defense. We know there was a beef the year prior with he and Matt Burke, and I'll still back Minka up on that as he was totally in the right in regards to his usage in 2018. But then the new staff gets here, a staff led by a coach that limited the number one scoring offense in the NFL to just a field goal in the Super Bowl in the league's championship game. And before you give the credit to Belichick, like, just shut up. He called the place. Thinking Flores was just some lackey and all of that is, I don't have a nice way to say it, so we'll just end it there. So Flores asked Minka to play a variety of roles on his defense, slot corner, off the ball safety, in the box safety, perimeter cornerback. Using players in that way is how the scheme that he knows thrives. A scheme that has been the steadying force on a defense that has won six championships and about 93 consecutive trips to the conference finals since the year 2000. In reality, that was an endorsement of Minka, the player who entered the league with impeccable notoriety for his preparation habits and Swiss Army knife-like abilities. But then what happened when Miami actually did ask him to play multiple spots? He honked until his wish was granted to get out of Miami. And this is where the entire soliloquy is going towards this quote from Minka in The Athletic. But first, 
Minka was targeted eight times in the final seven games of the last season. He didn't have a pick. He had one pass defensed. He recovered one fumble, didn't force any. He didn't sack the quarterback, and he made 11 solo tackles during that stretch. For what it's worth, Bobby McCain, a fifth-round draft pick as a cornerback and a career slot in the National Football League, who moved into that predominant deep middle-of-the-field safety role in Miami's cover-one heavy scheme, and he did that for the first time just this season. He had two picks in nine games, made 19 solo tackles, and had three passes defensed. Adrian Colbert, a street-free agent in-season signing, took over for McCain late, and he contributes with 14 solo tackles and two passes defensed in seven games. I want to be abundantly clear here. I am in no way, shape, or form saying that these players are on Minka's level. They're not even in Minka's orbit in terms of the level of production he gives you on a football field. The point I'm trying to make is that having a player play exclusively 10, 15, and a lot of the times 20 yards off the ball is just not a position of value. It's just not. That's why you almost never see deep safeties go in round one, and the safeties you do see go off the board that high are the Jamal Adams of the world, the Derwin Jameses, or the Minka Fitzpatricks with the billing that he can play multiple positions all over your defense. So Miami thought with having the 11th pick in the draft on their roster was they could maximize the investment with the 11th pick by a guy that could be a cornerstone on the roster, and you just can't do that from 20 yards off the ball every damn play. This is the same scheme that made a superstar out of Devin McCourty in New England for playing a deep middle-of-the-field safety role, but also a lot of other roles in that Patriots defense. Flores had that in mind for Minka, but Minka just wasn't having it. But now, all of a sudden, he is because he's come around to the idea... Here's the quote regarding the dip in production, quote, It wasn't because I wasn't doing my job, but because the quarterbacks were staying out of the middle of the field and staying away from my half when I was in the half. You just want to be more involved in the game. Sometimes you have to move around to be more involved, end quote. Really? You don't say, Minka. It's almost as if that Super Bowl winning coordinator knew what the French he was talking about. So when a player tries to play coach, that's when my opinion of said player sours. And look, best of luck to Minka and his career and his future. I'm sure he'll play in many more Pro Bowls and have a lot of success individually in his career. And he'll earn those Pro Bowl nods. He's a terrific player. But terrific players do not win championships. Me first players don't win championships. The Patriots dynasty was built on doing what's best for the team and making hard decisions with individuals like Lawyer Malloy, like Richard Seymour, like every single name they've had leave that building in kind of a unceremonious fashion. And for all 10 days that I sat there and watched the media pepper coach with questions in training camp about the lack of star power on his roster and what he gets from Xavier Howard, the one perceived star on his roster at the time, he consistently reiterated the need for team first guys. That's been his message since the day he was hired, since he got on that plane from the Super Bowl and came right to Miami and gave his introduction press conference, and he's not changing. Minka, he did change. He wasn't who we thought he was, and in this case, I'm glad we let him off the hook. The Denny Green quote, the gift that keeps on giving forever and ever, that soundbite was a little bit of a disappointment for betters on the Arizona Cardinals. And on the subject of disappointing losses and Super Bowl defeats, we had the Falcons blow a 28-3 lead just a couple years ago. That was a killer upset. And if you think you have the skill to forecast something like that happening in the big game this Sunday, then you guys got to check out my bookie. 
If you enjoy football and you have a heartbeat, then you know what's coming. It's the time of the year. Plan a party, get the snacks ready, and get your wagers locked in, locked on, because the Super Bowl is finally here. You've got a feeling about who's going to bring home the Lombardi Trophy, and you do not want to miss out on your last chance to get your bets in before next September when the NFL season comes back around because it ends on Sunday. Whether you're choosing the straight-up winner of the game or making a side bet with a friend, MyBookie offers you the most up-to-date odds and a site that makes winning extra cash easy and fast. MyBookie features the most complete lineup of Super Bowl props of any sportsbook in the business. The amount of betting options is simply unrivaled, and you can even visit mybookie.ag backslash party now to access a printable prop sheet for the big game. It'll be a lot of fun for you guys to have that with your friends to make bets throughout the game. You can even bet drinks if you don't want to go money-wise. Football not your jam? Don't sweat it because they've got you covered with lines on all the major sports, including the NBA, NHL, and college hoops, as well as football. Plus, if you deposit right now, they'll match your deposit halfway. That's basically free cash to throw down on your best bet. This will be the last chance to take advantage, so sign up now. Enter promo code Locked On when you make your deposit. That's promo code Locked On, one word, to give your bankroll a jumpstart. My bookie, play, win, and get paid. So Preston Williams says that he's ahead of schedule in his rehab from the torn ACL that he suffered back in the first week of November this past season. And if we're talking about the usual six to seven month recovery period for an ACL, then he'll be good to go for training camp, which he says he will be. But we should also remember that players take some time to get back from their previous form, even if the knee is healed and ready to rock from the opening day of training camp. I suspect we'll get full speed unicorn next November, a year after the injury, And perhaps the upshot of all this, you can probably extend Preston Williams after next season on the relatively cheap. Then all of a sudden, you've got two bona fide number one receivers on contracts for half the cost of actual number one receiver contracts with Parker and Williams. And before you tell me to pump the brakes or to relax, just don't. I mean, you can do it yourself, scout, project these players, and from there, it's not hard to see how terrific these two players were this past season. And it's also not hard to see from the All-22 just how much stress they put on the defense when they're out there together because they can win on inside releases, and they can get vertical and stack guys, and they can compete on contested 50-50 balls. When you have that to both sides of the field, the safety has no idea what to do because he's in just as much danger if he picks one or the other. Pick your poison with those guys. But just because there was no run game and the offensive line couldn't block doesn't change that fact. They influenced the way teams covered on the back end. And as is usually the case in football, they impacted the game more so than the box score would lead on. And to the point of his ACL, is there ever an athlete that's behind schedule? It seems like every single person that rehabs an injury is always quote unquote ahead of schedule. Either way, I can't wait to watch this guy get back out there. He talked about how difficult it was to deal with that injury at first, and you could see it on his face the day he got carted off the field there at Hard Rock Stadium against the Jets. I was there for that game. It was tough to watch. All right, let's go ahead and turn gears now and get into your questions on the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill. I put the call out on Twitter. You respond with your questions. I get to as many as we can. I've got 58 here on the podcast this week. We'll get to some more tomorrow and maybe even on Sunday's podcast. We're kind of low on content right now. Last year, I had the coaching hires to talk about. We had draft prospects, and we'll get back into that. Don't get me wrong, but we've already covered so much draft stuff because of how tough this season was. So right now, in full disclosure, I'm kind of stretching for content, so we go to the mail. 
mailbag. And this first one here from Paul Smith at Jarvis Fan One, Jarvis Landry. How much do you think Dieter's play will improve with a quality veteran tackle beside him where he isn't worried about trying to do too much? Me and Kyle Krabs discussed this on the podcast on Sunday about possibly having a rookie left tackle and rookie center in the lineup and how important it would be to have a guy like Joe Tooney at left guard because of how much he does in communication by helping out on doubles, finding extra work, getting that double team shoulder to shoulder, hip to hip. And you mentioned Michael Dieter at that position. I wonder where he's going to wind up if it's guard or center. I still tend to think he's a better option at center but the strength of his game last year was on those second level climbs on double teams and pulling out in space which maybe is a surprise because this guy He wasn't the most athletically gifted lineman in the draft, but where he did get by was his technical proficiency because of where he came from at Wisconsin, one of these places that just churns out offensive linemen year after year. But where he was strong was those double teams, and that's where the help next to you, your inside and outside post, really can contribute. So if he had a guy next to him, like a Joe Tooney, for instance, those doubles get even better. It helps him with stunts and twists and games and picking up disguise from the defensive front on blitzes, and it helps him hold blocks longer because for my money in addition to bad pass protection Dieter's biggest problem was that he fell off blocks far too often and if you have that veteran next to him that can help hold that block for a fraction of a second longer that should have a big impact so to answer your question I think it could have a major impact on Michael Dieter next year next one here from Dolphins Argentina at fins up Arge on Twitter cheating here with two questions well sir you only get one Nah, I'm just kidding. We can knock out both of these. It seems some reclamation projects have already started with Stevler and Collins. I don't even know how to pronounce that quarterback's name, Stevler. What other players do you think Miami will give a shot? And two, what kind of defensive front do you think Miami will use heavily next season? Thanks for this offseason. Well, the first question there, I'm actually writing an article about this in-house options to promote and improve next season. So I think that's where you have to look. And you can go back to that list on Twitter or just wait for tomorrow's podcast and I'll talk more in depth on that. As far as Miami's defensive front, I think they went to that bare front so much this year out of necessity. Whereas in the beginning portions of the year at training camp, for instance, they wanted to run more of those even fronts with two traditional defensive ends like a Charles Harris and a Tank Carradine. And they realized, well, both these guys aren't very good so we can't do that let's utilize the strengths of our roster and last year it was the linebacker position with Baker and McMillan in the middle or even bringing those guys down off the edge from time to time. You had Vince Beagle playing every position at linebacker, and then Andrew Van Ginkle late in the season. So because of that and their strength and prowess in odd fronts with three big defensive linemen in Jenkins, Godshaw, and Wilkins, you go more linebacker heavy. I think they will be a little bit of both next year. They're going to add bodies to that group, the front seven, and they're going to be multiple, but expect a lot more even fronts, four-man fronts for your defense next year in Miami. Next one here from Mark Clifford at mclifford36. With the rise of Herbert and Love, do you think Miami will feel less inclined to trade up and draft Tua? The draft value of Love and Herbert is pretty scattered right now. And I'm always surprised to see, like there was one mock draft that had Herbert going number, I think 18 to us. I saw a couple drafts where he's going 14. It's not going to happen. Even as a a big, you know, Herbert detractor that I am, he's going to go in the top 10. And I think Jordan Love will too. So I think that the pressure for Miami to trade up just comes from the Chargers and the Panthers and maybe even the Jaguars in there. It's going to come from their 
they're scouting reports on how big of a difference there is or how big of a gap there is between Tua and Herbert and Love. I think if that gap is significant enough, those teams then have to weigh how much it's worth trading future assets to go up and get that guy or just settling for the quarterback number two of choice. For me, I always say, if you find the guy, if you identify him, go get him. I talked about this on Twitter. The Bills basically got Tremaine Edmonds, Deion Dawkins, and Tredavious White. That is a up-and-coming inside linebacker who could be an all-pro as soon as next year. That's a already all pro cornerback in white and a stud left tackle who's going to go to Pro Bowls in his career. That's who they got for Patrick Mahomes and it still isn't worth it. So if you identify your quarterback, like the Chiefs are in a position right now where they can go to the Super Bowl like any year for the next 15 years because of Mahomes. So if you find a quarterback that you believe in like that, you go get him. You don't worry about the price. That is true for Miami. It's true for the Chargers. It's true for any team in the draft, in the league. And I think because of that, Miami will do what they have to do to make sure they get Tua. Next one here from Mr. Stubborn at Abduarte underscore one. Is there a trade package Miami would make to trade up for Tua that would upset you? At what point does it become too much to move up and draft him? That's a great question and a great one to come off the back of the earlier question. I don't want to say I'd be upset because a little rant that I just went on, if Tua is who I think he is, then we better not let him off the hook. And that's two Denny Green references in one podcast, Look At Me Go!, But back to that little rant, if you believe that's who he is, then there is no price that's too steep. But where I would come down or provide an answer for you here, Mr. Stubborn, is just to give up too much in terms of what you could have gotten away with. For instance, I don't think the cost is going to be that crazy because one, Miami does hold all the cards. And two, you can sell to the Lions that, hey, look, if you trade up with us, you're probably still going to get your guy at number five. You do it with the Chargers at six and they come up and get the quarterback. We're going to sit right there in front of you at five and take the guy you want. So do business with us, get extra picks and get your guy that can impact your season this year. Like Jeff Okuda or Derek Brown probably has the best impact on the Lions roster next year. And Patricia and Bob Quinn have to win next year or they gone. So that's my pitch as a Dolphins decision maker is to say you can still get the guy you want at this spot. So just know the value. Don't take the bluff, don't take the cheese, and really hold to your guns, but up to the point to where you don't lose Tua. It's it's very delicate, and frankly, I don't envy Chris Greer for having to make that decision because he can get fleeced in this deal, and even if Tua works, you can still say, well, you gave up too much. So just find out what the Lions are willing to take, and just don't go too far over that paying price. I, I hope that answers the question. I know it's pretty convoluted, but that's what I'm going to go with. Next one here from JT Evans at JT underscore Evans 97 saw another Dolphins source claim Miami should make eight of its 14 selections in the trenches agree or is that going a little bit too overboard where I disagree with that JT is having a preset notion in your mind heading into the draft I think that's the worst way to run any football operation. You always want to be in a position to be flexible and adaptable on the fly. That's what the best teams do. That's what all the best organizations do in the draft and otherwise from week to week game planning or to player acquisitions in the offseason. So don't go into the draft with a preset notion in mind. But as far as going after the offensive line, I mean, we've got one, I think, decent offensive lineman right now, Jesse Davis. We've got one guy that I believe could become decent in Michael Dieter. We've got a bunch of guys that maybe could compete for backup jobs. And so if you're going to have a good offensive line in the NFL, 
you better have seven good ones because you're going to play them all at some point in the season. If you just have five guys, like look at the Cowboys a couple years ago when they had that wall of China, the Great Wall of China, and they had injuries to Tyron Smith and Travis Frederick and Zach Martin, and all of a sudden you can't play because your backups are straight trash. And that one right tackle, I forget his name, just got ran over time and time again. You got to have depth there. And Daniel Jeremiah said on the on the uh, Move the Sticks podcast earlier this week that. He has a philosophy and when it comes to team building and one of the things that he's done since he left the scouting world and entered the media was to make sure that he was in a position to learn about team building. I'm pretty sure he's angling for a GM job at some point in his career and he'll probably get it. But one of the things he said that he believes in his core tenants is that every team in the National Football League should draft one offensive lineman with your first three picks. That's a a staple of your organization, a core philosophy that he believes in. And I think he's probably right because you have to be in a position to consistently develop guys and have options that can come off the bench or even better, guys that can be day one plug and play starters. Now, to really gear this question towards Miami and to answer your question specifically, we need seven linemen this offseason that are capable, in my opinion, whether that's developing Evan Bame and Danny Isadora to one of those spots or to getting Michael Dieter into one of those spots or signing multiple free agents. I still believe the Barry Jackson report about acquiring four quality offensive linemen, and I think they'll do that. But you have to be careful because the Falcons last year had the exact same plan and they went out and signed James Carpenter. They drafted Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry. And really none of those three guys lived up to the hype of their positioning in terms of contract with Carpenter and then draft placement with both Lindstrom and McGarry. So it's not like an automatic fix, but I do believe in pumping resources into the position because that's the area where you can really control games up front. So to answer your question more specifically, yeah, I think eight is pretty crazy. I mean, that's an entire offensive line that makes the opening day roster. Usually you keep eight or nine linemen on your team. I would say you probably sign one time, one big time free agent. You sign one mid-level starting free agent, and then you draft four or five from that point forward. So eight to me, JT, is way too overkill unless you get tremendous value. Like what if the top eight linemen fall to your first eight picks? Then I guess you could take them, but you get the point. Don't have a preset plan and eight is probably way too many. If you're a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers work with Locked On to reach sports fans, but you may not know that Locked On Dolphins is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Dolphins fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners, not just any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Dolphins fans and a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On podcast. Local fans love to support local business. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve Locked On advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. I'm 
I'm a big fan of complete transparency, and to be f completely frank with you guys, Wednesday kind of got away from me, had some errands to run in the morning and afternoon, started punching up an article, and then I realized it was going to be way too much work to get that article into the podcast and then have the podcast recorded as well. So tomorrow's show is going to have an in-depth article on how Miami can relate to the San Francisco 49ers and their pursuit of their first championship in a lot of years. I don't know the exact number of years, but the parallels between the Dolphins this year, the Niners last year, and how the Niners got to where they are, and the three pillars, the three conjoined triangles of success to how to get yourself to not only a championship-level contender, but to also sustain that success and stay in that position for years and years to come. Let's go back into the mailbag here. If I don't get to your question today, I'm going to get to some more tomorrow, so don't lose hope that I didn't answer your question. Next question here from Politically Finn Correct. He's at Finn Correct on Twitter. You've stated many times in the past you don't think Josh Rosen will be a member of the Dolphins going forward. How do they get rid of him? Trade bait? Cut him? Does he make it through training camp? Will he now be considered a bust? For my money, he's already a bust because... I hate having this conversation because so many Dolphins fans greet it with backlash, but I think the best way to compare where Josh Rosen or to evaluate where Josh Rosen is or was in the season is to go back to that Washington game because you can say all you want that he didn't have the adequate parts around him, but I mean, from that point forward, the Dolphins offense was actually good, not just like surviving, but good and thriving towards the end of the year. And that was after a multitude of injuries took away Preston Williams, Jakeem Grant, you lost Kenyon Drake and Mark Walton to trades and off-field issues. You had talent depleting around you, and still Ryan Fitzpatrick rose the tide of the entire team, and you watch the comparison from that exact game where Fitzpatrick had the team going up and down the field, and Josh Rosen couldn't even move past the sticks like more than a couple times. The offense was stuck in the mud that day, and I think that and the inability to process the sacks that he took, I mean, he had five sacks taken in that game. Fitzpatrick comes in, doesn't take any sacks behind the exact same offensive line he's just not there mentally and sometimes that never happens like that didn't really ever happen for Ryan Tannehill in seven years do we expect Rosen to suddenly click and have it happen because it didn't happen in Arizona and it didn't really happen at UCLA either but to your question I I think he has to get cut I don't know who's going to take him on at this point his NFL film is atrocious I was never a film fan of his college film his practice habits aren't great he was late to practice every single day the coaches get frustrated when the media ask them questions he just to me he's got no value so I think maybe he makes it to training camp I don't know when it happens but I think that by September Josh Rosen's not a dolphin and you don't get any value in return for him because he pretty much submarined that value in the three starts he had this season Next question from DolphinsFan82 at DolphinsFan82. Going to my first Dolphins game this next year, in your opinion, what is one must-do when you're in Miami for a Dolphins game? Any bars or restaurants, tailgating spots, events? Well, I would say you got to check out Las Olas in Fort Lauderdale. That's a really good time. Tons of good bars and restaurants all up and down that stretch and some really good ones. Check out El Camino. It's a Mexican restaurant, and they have this like shredded brisket pork thing they use in the enchiladas. One of the best meals I've ever eaten in my entire life. You also got to check out Ocean Drive there in Fort Lauderdale. Tons of good bars in that spot. The Elbow Room right there on Ocean Drive was a lot of fun late on a Saturday night. And number one thing I would suggest is go to Bow Campers. The food's pretty good. The drink specials are good. There's a lot of attractive bartenders and servers, but also the atmosphere there. A great sports bar to watch college football on Saturday. You won't regret that. So I'm not probably the best person to ask, but those are the things that I've done. I had a good time doing those things. So Bow Campers, Ocean Drive, and Los Olas 
us all of that in Fort Lauderdale for you. Next question here from Nick Imperato at Nick underscore Imperato. Is there any specific things that Flores Greer have done in the last year that you have totally disagreed with? Yes, there have been. I dis- I despise the Josh Rosen trade from the moment it happened. I still wanted Chauncey Gardner-Johnson with the pick they used on Michael Dieter. I think Chase Winovich went off the board right before that pick. I also liked him in that spot. I hated the idea of having Preston Williams return punts. Let's see, what else is there? I thought Tank Carradine should have made the team on the opening day roster. I think Chris Reed should have gotten more playing time and stayed for the entire season because I think he was one of the best offensive linemen on the team. So I'm not completely void of criticisms for the team. I just thought this year was not the year to put those out there because there was already so much negativity around this team. Did you really want more of it? But yes, I had plenty of disagreements with their decisions, and I think the biggest one of all those was the Josh Rosen trade. Let's do one more here. We'll come back on tomorrow and get to some more questions. Stephen J. Wilson, at Stephen J. Wilson on Twitter. Is there a player on the roster under contract you'd trade for more draft picks in a surprise move? Yeah, I've got one answer, and this probably won't be a surprise for regular listeners of the podcast, but Jerome Baker just, I I don't know where he fits in this defense. They can find a way to get reps for him in certain positions, but all things told, I just think that he offers more value to a team that runs a different scheme. I've talked about the Seahawks, the Jaguars, that Leo position makes a lot more sense for Jerome Baker. So if I got offered a second round pick for Baker, I would take that. And I think Miami might too. That would be the one that I would check down as a surprise move that's going to piss off the fan base because there's not an understanding of the defensive scheme. And he's a good player. He's a fast player. He's a modern day football player. But again, the scheme fit, maybe it's not there for Jerome Baker. Okay, that's going to be my time for this Thursday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We'll come back tomorrow, preview the Super Bowl. I'll talk about that article that I wrote regarding some players that could have a surprise addition to the Dolphins roster next season. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Friday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up. It's coming.